Support for this podcast is brought to you by CultureAmp. Eliminate the guesswork of company culture with CultureAmp, the world's largest independent employee feedback platform. CultureAmp goes beyond aggregating survey results to deliver rich insights and data-driven action plans on an easy-to-use interface. With a powerful platform, science-backed surveys and a focus on customer success, CultureAmp helps you increase employee engagement and build a positive company culture. Start developing a deep understanding of your employees' experience today by visiting cultureamp.com future. That's cultureamp.com future. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 176 of the Recruiting Future podcast. It's fantastic to see the increasing use of data-informed strategies in talent acquisition. However, while the industry is making progress in this area generally, there's still a lot more to be done when it comes to the use of data in recruitment marketing. Most recruitment marketing is not as sophisticatedly targeted or optimised as it can be, and that's a real problem for employers. My guest this week is Theo Smith, Recruitment Manager at the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. NICE is an organisation with research and data at its core, and Theo has been doing a great job at bringing an evidence-based approach to their recruitment marketing. Hi Theo, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, how you doing, Matt? Good, fantastic to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Yes, uh, I'm Theo Smith, and I head up recruitment at NICE, the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence. Um, so we look after the pathways, the guidance, we do research um, to basically decide if you're in hospital and you're getting some treatment, which uh, which route you'll take, which technologies, which drugs um, will be available to you going through the NHS and the health sector, amongst many other things. Now, um, I can imagine that that um, uh, creates some interesting uh, recruiting challenges. Um, tell us about the sort of talent that you that you recruit and um, the, the the challenges that that might throw up. Yeah, I guess there's probably a misconception that because we're uh, an arms science body of the Department of Health, um, that we are like an, an NHS organisation. Um, but actually, uh, the talent that we require to do the work that we do uh, is really different. Um, and it's a real challenge to identify these people because often they come in from academia or they may come from consultancies or possibly even pharmaceutical companies. We're talking about health economists or health researchers, um, systematic reviewers. Uh, and sometimes those individuals are, are building economic models from uh, the very beginning. Uh, sometimes that happens from uh, support from the academic institutes. Uh, and sometimes actually they're, they're just systematic reviewers. Um, but ultimately, the, there's a very small amount of these people available to us. And often they come with PhDs in health economics or master's qualifications. Um, so that obviously is, is provides us with a, a significant challenge over the years. But actually, um, what's happened for us as an organization is the variety of skills that we now 
require has broadened. So uh, when we were in our first 10 years of operation, we're 20 years this year. And what we realized in the first 10 years is that we needed four different areas uh, of skills uh, required for four different areas of work that we did within the health sector. Roll on five years and that became 14 areas and roll on another five years and that's increased even more. So it's not just that we need these individuals, but actually the specialist skills that we require uh, has broadened as well um, over the years. That's made it much more difficult five, 10 years ago where we were able to attract the right talent. Now we're finding it much more difficult and with technological advances and with um, you know, the, the volume and variety of information and content that we all have to sift through in our daily lives has made it really difficult for us. And ultimately, that's why I came in 12 months ago to help with that challenge. And how do you go about solving that challenges? Because you're obviously looking for very, very specialised people. There aren't there aren't very many of them. Um, you know, how, how do you find them? How do you get the word out? How do you sort of persuade them to join the organisation? So when I joined, I my background is is a mixed bag. Um, I've worked within executive search. I've worked in 360 recruitment. Um, I've worked in-house. I've worked for media buying agencies, RPO businesses. So uh, when I came in, uh, with that variety of experience, you have to really look at the organization, look at their challenges, uh, and then identify where the opportunities are. Uh, and that's, that's what I did in the first three months at NICE. Really, it was an interim role to come and help them solve the problem uh, and then to decide what to do from there. Uh, so I, the way I like to look at it, Matt, is a, an evidence-based recruitment approach because actually the work we do at NICE is evidence-based. Um, we put in two to three to four years of research uh, to provide the evidence to make decisions around what technologies, what drugs are used within the health sector. And I thought it was quite fitting that we took a similar approach. So we looked uh, at some of the data um, to inform us on why we were struggling, um, where these people uh, were hanging out, you know, which companies they likely worked for. There was a misconception when I walked around and I started talking to hiring managers that we were losing people to pharmaceutical companies. But actually, when I delved deeper, we were actually taking more people from pharmaceutical companies than we were losing. But it's the perception that you have. Uh, so there was a lot of focus in the wrong areas uh, around attracting talent. Uh, and what we actually found out is three core areas, these technical analysts, what we call them, these systematic reviewers, health economists come from. And it's, it is the pharmaceutical companies, it is consultancies, and it is academia. Um, and we just not put any focus around reaching out to those communities and speaking to them. And we'd certainly not done anything around lifting the blinds and opening the curtains to what life is like at nights, um, which have made it a, a really big challenge for us because Although people had a lot of respect for who NICE are and what we do, those who, who had heard about NICE guidance on the news or work within the sector, but actually nobody truly understood what it was like to be John sat in a chair at NICE working um, in a, a technical analyst role. Um, so we've had to do a lot of work around actually uh, lifting the blinds and opening the curtains so people could get an idea. But it's all been backed by uh, the research and not uh, your typical um, wide volumes and variety of data. Actually, we're talking about accessing, accessing simple bits of information here, utilizing LinkedIn to understand you know, where our technical analysts worked previously and where they move on to. Um, it's not rocket science, but actually building on all those different data points and identifying all those different bits of information, 
building the personas um, through surveys and through meeting up with working groups and through really getting underneath the skin of who we are as an organization has helped us to target those individuals more effectively. Now, some really interesting stuff there. And I want to um, dive in a bit deeper into, you know, how how you've done some of that. But I suppose what's interesting for me, um, uh, you know, with this sort of evidence-based approach to recruiting, um, you're obviously dealing with a lot of um, uh, perceptions that might have been there for years about what was what was kind of going on with, uh, uh, you know, where people were leaving, where people were coming from. Um, did you find it easy to challenge those perceptions when you had the evidence or, or was that or was that still, uh, you know, something that took a little bit of, of work to get people on board with? Well, it, I suppose when you've got the evidence, it always helps. And when you're dealing with people who uh, have PhDs, who have, uh, you know, uh, uh, high level of academic qualifications and experience, um, actually evidence is a really good way to convince people um, to change their thinking and their viewpoint. Actually, I found NICE has been highly receptive um, to the ideas uh, and to the messages that we've been sharing. And I think it's for that reason. If you present it in a way that's accessible uh, and that the highly managed communities can understand, then they're much more likely to respond positive, positively towards it. So when I've worked in other organizations, whether they're big aerospace companies, manufacturing organizations, engineering businesses, the way that you deal with these challenges is very different. Um, and you don't need to come up with as much evidence uh, as, as what we've had to come up with here. Um, but it's just around ensuring that the audience that you're working with, uh, in this instance, you know, the higher management community, uh, that it resonates with them, that they understand it, that they buy into it and that they believe in it. And at a ground level, if we can create that commitment and belief, um, but actually through creating working groups that have the involvement of some senior members of NICE, um, what we're doing is we're actually working from both the bottom up and the top down so that then what you find is it's much easier to get stuff done. Absolutely. Um, and I, that, that makes uh, that makes perfect sense. So um, obviously, you know, you, you've, you've done the research, you've, you've kind of identified um, the type of people you're looking for and, and, and where those 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 people are and presumably, um, you know, a fair about about their their motivations. Um, you built personas, um, you know, all of that great stuff. How, how did you move forward with that? How did you actually sort of translate that into practice and, um, you know, source these people and and, and persuade them that, that NICE was the, the, the place that they should be working? So what we found is through doing the research, the surveys, uh, the Q&A, sitting down uh, with the teams, is that they were spending time online. So they were spending time, our technical analysts were spending time on Twitter as a news channel, quite a, a high proportion of them. And they were also spending time on Facebook groups. Uh, so what we were quite quickly able to do is A-B test, uh, engaging with those communities just with uh, job content. Uh, initially to see whether or not we were uh, creating more applicants, more relevant applicants. Because what we found uh, is our old channels to market were actually creating a lot of applicants, but that didn't have the right skills and capabilities to do the job. So it was making it difficult for us. Um, by actually targeting people on uh, Facebook and on Twitter uh, with these jobs, we were straight away able to improve the conversion of, of quality candidates. Uh, but what we also did is we, everything came back to the research, Matt. So uh, out of the research, there were keywords coming out. 
that helped us target those individuals better, but also those keywords we utilized throughout of all the communications. So all the research done up the front end was all the information that then went into the content, whether it was the job copy, the job advert, the um, whether it was the targeting on social media, whether it was the headline uh, that we used to get the hook. Um, what we found is that this information done up front was helping us significantly throughout all of that recruitment. So better conversion, um, better quality of candidates um, that were coming through. And it, it, we were also able to do that within the advert copy. So what we found is that a lot of our adverts had just been reproduced time and time again and, and thrown back out there. And they didn't really speak the language of who we are today as an organization. So we did some work around trying to understand who we are, we are as, as individuals within NICE, what the team makeups look like, and actually trying to get that information into the top of an advert. So we found that a technical analyst wasn't resonating, didn't make sense on Google, or indeed we were struggling to change technical analysts with HR and with finance, but we still needed to solve the problem quickly. So it was around using some of those keywords in the first lines to improve the applicant. So are you a health economist or systematic review within the health sector, for example? Um, and we found by making some of those changes, we reduced the amount of inappropriate applicants. So we go from 20 to 30 applicants who were just not right down to one or two. Now, where that became really important for us and the hiring managers is we're an arm's length body. We assess every single applicant that comes through. So if we get 100 applicants, we will score each one of them independently. We'll have a panel of two to three people who will do that. Um, and so you can understand quite quickly the, the numbers if you're getting 20 to 30 applicants that are inaccurate because of the wording that you're using. It's uh, putting a big strain on the workforce uh, through that process. So for us, it wasn't just around uh, attracting the right people uh, because we were struggling to identify them. Actually, it was improving the overall quality uh, of those people going through because there was a, a lot of time and energy and effort being taken to work through all of those applicants. So it's been a big time saver as well as improving the the quality of applicants for us. That's really interesting. And that I, I, and, and that kind of leads nicely to my my next question, which was, you know, sort of based on um, you know, the evidence that you had, um, and also I suppose the different uh, you know, volumes and, and quality of applications you had coming through, um, did you did you feel that you had to make any changes to your actual recruitment process or the or the candidate experience? Was that was that part of um, um, part, part of part of what you've done? Yeah, so it, it's something that we've now got to look at because over the last 12 months, what we've done is we've completely turned recruitment on its head. Uh, we're now, look, we outsource recruitment administration. So that had an impact on uh, the way that we worked uh, and the quality of the candidate experience because uh, a lot of it was automated emails um, and we needed to put in the, the kind of the human element. So that's kind of, you've hit there on the next stage for us. What we needed to do was increase the, the, the volume of applicants, the right types of applicants, uh, and know that that was working and then find a way to ensure that the journey that they take is a good one. I mean, the direction we're going in is we'll want to segment the journey dependent on the uh, type of role and the department. So if you're a technical analyst, you may well 
want to have the opportunity to communicate your experience uh, in written form, answering questions and to be assessed on that basis because that's part of the work that you do. However, if you're a developer, um, we want to make sure that it's a very simple uh, process to apply for a job, whether that's a CV or we can find other routes to apply, gamification, whatever it may be, building Lego. <laughs> um, but the, the reality is that is the journey that we now go on over the next 12 months because we started to solve the problem of where these people are how we're going to target them and how we're going to start to engage them with us and what type of content is going to start to resonate with them and now we've got that we're going through the process of the technology where we can house it all and we can streamline it and improve it um but for me it all had to start with the research the evidence to guide us in the steps uh, that we were going to take so you know there are probably a lot of organizations sat out there thinking you know how do we do employer branding um, how do we uh, identify those people that we're really struggling to find? And for me, it's actually about stripping things back. We can't all have a global head of employer branding who can guide us and support us from the top down. Sometimes actually it's around taking uh, what you have, what's available to you, uh, what you can assess, what data points are there. They don't need to be big, complex pieces of data. Actually, they can be very simple pieces of information that when you put together they create a narrative a story that you can utilize and that becomes quite powerful and i think that's what we've been able to achieve here in the last 12 months but yeah the next step will be then to ensure that we've got uh, improved technology processes systems and that we can make sure that the candidates get a great experience because if i'm honest with you we are absolutely not there yet the candidates still have to follow what is a rigorous uh, archaic process by nature of who we are and, and what we've been a part of. Um, so that's one one of the big challenges that, that we'll face now over the next 12 months, Matt. Final final question. Um, I know that you're someone who sort of keeps a, a keen eye on, uh, you know, developments in the, in, the, in the recruiting market in general, sort of particularly around technology. Um, wh- where do you think recruiting's heading sort of generally in the next 18 months to two years? What are you, what are you sort of looking forward to um, seeing in the, in the way of, um, you know, new developments or new practices or, or, or new technology? So I think there's a lot of talk about the big blue sky, about all the the big um, developments within technology, whether it's um, artificial intelligence or all the variations of however you want to define it. Um, But actually, the the reality for me is I see and hear a lot of people who who are in the trenches, so to speak, who are still just trying to find a way um, to improve their organization, uh, the the recruitment process piece by piece. And you see it in in the marketplace. If you listen to uh, candidates talk about their experience, often it's fairly poor. And even those organizations that have the budget and the time and the focus to invest in the technology to improve that journey, actually we're still limited in terms of the organizations that are that are implementing um, the things that really make the difference. So, you know, personally, I'm, I'm a people person. I think that it has to be um, people focused. We have to think around the journeys of the individuals and whether that's a, um, a marketing approach um, and we're setting it up so that, you know, people can click to apply as quickly as they can click to buy. Um, I think that's fine and it will have its place. But I think the human element, the human approach is still going to be really significant and important to ensuring um, you get the right uh, 
positive journey throughout that process. So the, the technologies um, that will support us in achieving that, and especially that will support us in achieving it in a small way, are the things I'm going to be most excited about. So, for example, I mean, you have uh, you have these people on the show talking about the technology in the future and what they're going to be doing. But, um, you know, uh, job boards, uh, as an example, um, it's evolving and changing at a rapid rate. And, and the way that we buy ads and that we promote ads and that we share that advert to people. So for me, this is a real area of interest and the way that we can uh, utilize job boards in the future in, in a real simple way. And it's something that we're doing here. Um, and I think also um, where we can find other ways to uh, simplify uh, what we're doing and streamline it. Um, you know, you've seen organizations now uh, where it is historically, if you needed to go and buy media, you go to a big media buying agency. Well, everything's being digitalized. So you can jump online now and you can type in that you need a developer in Manchester uh, and the digital technology can tell you where and when that you're going to post it. So for me, it's not about the the really big, exciting things that I'm focused on. It's actually those smaller organizations, those new tech startups. If you go to some of these key events, it's those small companies that are solving small problems. Because for me, Matt, they're the things that are actually having the biggest impact for me because we've not got the budget um, uh, and the time to invest big, complex technology into our organization theo thank you very much for talking to me lovely thank you matt my thanks to theo smith you can subscribe to this podcast in apple podcasts or via your podcasting app of choice the show also has its own dedicated app which you can find by searching for recruiting future in your app store if you're a spotify user you can also find the show there you can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.